This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. With me, Laura Curran. Let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now, here's your host, Laura Curran. Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. I want to welcome my guest, Nicole Gelinas. Hello. Good morning, Laura. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad that you came and you're in the studio. So, Nicole, you may have read her columns. She's a regular columnist at the New York Post. She's also written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the LA Times. She is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, which looks at the world through a free market lens. Correct me if I'm wrong, Nicole, but it's basically how the free market, unfettered or less fettered, can benefit all aspects of society. Yes, more or less fettered than unfettered. You right. Know, we're not. not uh, we're not. We're not getting we're not rid of all the fetters. radical libertarians. But you know how, especially in a place like New York City, how do you bring some more free market principles to what happens in the city with areas like housing, schools, and so forth? Energy. I, Energy. I think right now is a yeah. big topic. So it must feel a little bit like a Sisyphean task right mm -hmm. now because the political culture is very big on regulation and very big on telling businesses how to run their businesses and what should be taught in schools and all and, you know, charter schools and all of that. Yes. And particularly, you know, there are good regulations, there are okay regulations, there are bad regulations, and there are really terrible regulations. So mm -hmm. like, for example, my colleague the other day wrote about the city council wanting to ban landlords from doing criminal background checks yes. on their tenants. Yes. And then, you know, last week we had a person who served 20 years for murder in state prison. And it was, you know, as far as murders go, there are bad murders and there are really bad murders and mm -hmm. this was a very gruesome murder you know someone was stabbed to death on the street very mm -hmm. violence and did his 20 years got out and then was arrested twice in the two years since then and he was let right back out on the streets even though that violated his parole and then he went into this apartment building where he used to work and killed this elderly woman on the upper west side allegedly so this is a person you would not want living in your building and the city council would want to say you would never know that someone like this was living next door to you and you know you're being friendly to him letting him into your apartment and so forth so that's an example of how the terrible criminal justice situation we've seen over the past couple of years is coinciding with the city council wanting to impose bad regulations on private business in this case private landlords mm -hmm. on how can they keep their buildings safe so mm -hmm. just one example of what we do one example yeah. of many it's interesting that you bring up the city council because well you write today in today's post we're recording on monday the 23rd of january you write about the crime situation in new york and eric adams going to the first ever 
Manhattan Chamber of Commerce Crime Summit. And it says something that this is the first time they've done it. Crime in Manhattan is actually rising higher than it is in other parts of the city. And so we do have this week the mayor's state of the city address. We also have coming up in the summer the primaries for all 51 city council seats. So, I mean, I get the sense, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you feel that Mayor Adams is saying the right things about crime. He wants to push back against some of the Albany Democrats who, with bail reform and all of the other kind of soft on crime policies. However, he has to work with a city council that is far to the left of him and may become even more so, sort of almost parallel to what we're seeing with Kathy Hochul and the state legislature up in Albany. And we saw what happened with the power play with Judge Hector LaSalle. She wanted him to be the state's top judge. The state Senate said not so fast and voted him down in committee. Do you see that there's a parallel there? And what can Mayor Adams learn from Kathy Hochul's experience? Yeah, there's certainly a parallel. And if we back up through all of that important stuff there. So the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce held the first ever anti-crime summit. And as you said, it's not a good thing that they feel like during the second year of Mayor Adams and the second year of Governor Hochul, although she was just elected in her own right last year, that all of these business leaders and the business improvement district leaders feel that they have to launch this anti-crime summit. You know, if this were, if everything were going well, I think they would say, let's just focus on our business and on our districts and leave the elected officials to the crime because that's their job. But they obviously don't feel like things are going well. I mean, they felt the need to convene all of these small business leaders, Mm. security officials, and the elected officials responsible for crime. You know, DA Alvin Bragg from Manhattan came, a couple top legislators who work on the criminal code came and spoke. And so the attitude from the half-day summit was people like Mayor Adams, partly because he's not Bill de Blasio, he's Mm -hmm. friendly to business, he comes and speaks to business, he wants to hear the business community's concerns, whether they're large business or small small business. So all of those things are good. But it's hard to say that we fixed anything in the past year. And that's not a good sign because the second year you start to lose momentum and lose focus a little bit maybe. So where is the crime situation? Last year, the first year of Mayor Adams, we had close to 127,000 felonies in New York City. That's a third higher than in 2019. So we're nowhere back to pre-pandemic normal. Yes, it's good that the murder rate was down last year. We were closer to the low 400s in murders, 433 murders rather than the high 400s. But that's still a third higher than it was in 2019. So the danger is we start to normalize these higher levels of crime. You know, we haven't started 2023 out very well. We had the murder of the woman on the Upper West Side. Mm -hmm. We had the city's first subway murder. Mm -hmm. A man pushed to his death, also allegedly by someone who just got out of state prison. We've had a couple shooting robberies and all of these illegal pot stores. So the mayor can't lose focus on crime. But at the same time, yes, he is constrained by a far left state legislature that obviously doesn't want to make any more changes to the bail laws or 
the marijuana regulation laws or the discovery laws. You have a governor who is very weak in relation to the state legislature. You know, she lost on Judge LaSalle, doesn't bode well for more moderate things she might want to do this year, which doesn't bode well for the city. And Adams has a city council that wants to add more spending to his reasonably pragmatic budget. So it is a tough battle for him, and it is not the time for him to lose focus on the one thing that he ran and won on a year and a half ago, which was crime. Mm -hmm. So what would your advice to him be, knowing that it's easy? I always say it's easy to give advice from the cheap seats when you don't actually have to do it and get it done. But what do you think he needs to do, and what can he learn from Governor Hochul's experience? I think some of the things he's doing are right. I mean, for example, we have to give him credit for getting the gun violence down last year. You know, Mm -hmm. again, murders were down, shootings were down, shooting victims were down. And so what he said he was going to do with the police department and what the commissioner's doing, focusing on getting guns off the streets. You know, they got 7,100 guns off the streets last year, enormous accomplishment, focusing on on gun gang crime, which is working. But the problem is the massive focus on gun violence with a police department that is small. I mean, it's the smallest that it's been in more than 20 years Mm. and shrinking because everyone is retiring or Mm. resigning. That focus means there's less resources to go around on other things like quality of life offenses and so forth. And then they've got this whole issue of the 1,400 pot stores that are becoming magnets for robberies. So keep doing what he's doing on gun crime. But I think anything to do with why do we still see these quality of life crimes? Why do we still see all of this fare beating? Why are we still seeing crime on the subways? Why is shoplifting still such a crisis that the stores have to lock up the laundry detergent and everything? Make sure he's very clear about who to blame for that. If discovery reform, bail reform, he needs to keep the focus on why if the police spend a half a day arresting someone, why that person is right back out on the street because if he doesn't keep that blame focus very clear mm-hmm. people will just blame him That's i mean exactly we have right. a one party state people don't want to say okay this guy says it's this other guy's fault this lady says it's this man's fault you know everyone is blaming each other uh they're just eventually they're just going to get tired of this and say you know what this is all democrats they should have figured it out by themselves exactly. and you know lee zeldin came very close last year mm-hmm. you could see a real shock at the state or city level when people go past their frustration point this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory shopify pos has everything you need to sell in person go to shopify.com system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You know, it's interesting what you talk about blame focus. And I think people are sick of blaming politicians, blaming other things. Mm -hmm. However, he does have to make that very clear line. Like, look, I'm fighting the good fight here. You know, point your ammo at those other folks. But it's tricky when it's your party because he needs a good relationship with the state legislature for funding and other things. He needs a good relationship with the governor for certain things. You don't want to burn bridges. But at the same time, you're charged with keeping a city safe 
but they're taking away your tools to do that, it seems. Right. I mean, the city is completely dependent on the state governments. Yeah. You know, as you know, as your county executive, the city depends on the state for tax revenue. The state sets the level of taxes for sales tax, income tax. The state decides how much money in grants the city is going to get. So it is a dangerous game. He cannot alienate the governor and we'll see if she becomes as firm in keeping people in line as former Governor Cuomo was, which has its good points and it's not very good points. It's but a mixed bag, but it, you can get stuff done. Right. He is in a very difficult position. But, you know, again, the voters in the city had their choice of far left candidates in the mayoral race That's in right. 2021 and they didn't pick a far left candidate or even a more moderate candidate who was you know less focused on crime like Catherine Garcia or yeah. Andrew Yang they picked the mayor because they wanted an aggressive approach to crime, including a heavy focus on policing and the criminal justice system. So if they don't start to get bigger results on what yeah. they voted for, they'll be annoyed. Now, you also brought up the city council races. You know, all The city council is up for re-election this year. Unusual situation. We'll see if and that's we, because of redistricting. Yeah, so all the, yeah. the all the councils are changing council yeah. districts. We'll see if we get some moderate primary challengers in some of these districts and mm. whether they do well. You know, you're asking a lot of busy voters to come out in an off year election mm -hmm. when we just had two major elections. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people don't think of their own individual council person as responsible for very much. They yeah. tend to think of the mayor and the governor. But it would be nice to see moderate challenges, whether it's Democratic moderates in the primary or Republican moderates in the, in the general election, say, OK, your council person voted for this, this and this. And these are the results. And this is the result. Yes, I hope to give courage to the moderates and the sensible people out there. I don't care of which party because we need that balance. And I am very concerned about the state. I'm very concerned about the city. I mean, you had a very poignant quote in your column today about, I forgot who it was, but, you know, there was a Walgreens that closed in Midtown because of the crazy rampant shoplifting. And now it's empty. And that spreads that blight spreads. So it's not like, oh, we want to be nice to people. These have real world effects that affect the entire community and in effect make it less safe right. for, for regular, for everybody. Yeah. You can walk around Manhattan and also elsewhere, Brooklyn, Queens as well, and the Bronx, and see the sort of old signs of the drugstores that have been closed. Like mm. you see the big empty store and then you look up and you still see the remnants of the Dwayne Reed or the Rite Aid. I mean, there we've had a lot of drugstore closures and a big issue is shoplifting. You know, yeah. there's impunity, as the mayor said the other day, for organized criminal gangs to go in, steal high value items and then fence them, whether on third parties on Amazon or fence them to the bodegas. But that is these are not crimes of poverty. And right. even when they're crimes driven by drug addiction, you can't engage in this behavior. I mean, the DA says they're going to go after the repeat offenders more assertively this year. 
that's good. We've had some bail changes that mean, you know, harm on harm offenders can be, the judge can set bail for these offenders. So it hopefully will look a little bit different than the past couple of years where people just think there's no punishments at all for this. But again, if we don't see the results soon, people will get very frustrated. You know, the bodegas owner saying in the papers this weekend, we've got to chain up the... Yeah. And then I some, saw that yeah, photo so. with a big chain link around the tide. Right. And like the Walgreens security official said the other day at the summit, people don't like to see the toothpaste locked up because then they have to ask the clerk and it's wait. It's a big yeah. pain in the butt. Yeah, you just but, want to get some toothpaste yeah, and go home. But he said, you know, if you don't lock it up, it won't be there. So you won't have anything to buy. I mean, we're starting to see that in the suburbs on huh. Long Island as well. You know, I live in a, a it's not a crime ravaged community, mm-hmm. but at my local Walgreens, you got to call if you want certain kinds of deodorant or certain kinds of, you know, fancy products from there and certain medications as well because of that yep you know you want to buy some dove deodorant (laughs) on your way home you've got to call the clerk so it does have these ripple effects so i gotta think that the elected officials in albany who are promulgating these policies i think some of them are true believers they're young they're idealistic they want to be fair i mean that's just kind of the nature of young people you you know that mm-hmm. that makes sense but you have some older and one would think wiser people who know how the world really works and were around in the 70s and 80s when things were bad but yet they seem content to let this slip for political reasons it's all about sort of a this is just me this is just me i could be completely wrong and i'm no shrink but it seems like they're willing to let this go for political purposes so that they can be popular, so that they can keep their power, so that they can feel important. But in my heart of hearts, I got to know, I got to think they know they're playing a dangerous game. They're not stupid people. Yeah, I think it's, you know, if you peel back to before the pandemic in the 2019 budget, where former Governor Cuomo kind of threw everything in the budget at the time, He was afraid of the left, more fearful than one might be today, considering how the left did not do very well in in the mayoral election and seems to be on the descendancy. So through bail reform in the budget, without any hearings on bail reform, no one really knew the implications. Same thing with discovery reform, through congestion pricing in the budget. And it was kind of like, well, we'll figure all the stuff out later. But if one were generous regarding the bail reform and discovery reform process, one would say this is an iterative process. You know, every few months they should see what's going wrong and go back and fix it. And it still needs fixes, particularly discovery reform still needs fixes. discovery, which your paper actually really, uh, the post has really highlighted hasn't been talked about a lot, but the impact this right. has on prosecution is huge. And I'm right. hearing that yeah. from my colleague Hannah Myers wrote a huge paper last week on how, you know, the DAs are throwing out a very high percentage of cases now because they can't meet the discovery burden within the two week time frame. But the legislator doesn't want to admit that it made mistake. So you see the legislative leaders saying we're just, you know, we're not going to revisit this because they feel like they're under the spotlight and it makes them feel like they have to admit that they made a mistake. And the governor is just very weak right now. Do you think think she can 
acquire what it takes to take on this fight, whether it's like a Joan of Arc body armor or something? I mean, she has to do it really quickly. But, you know, I mean, you would think she would take away the lesson from the election that mm-hmm. she really needed the whole Democratic establishment from Bill Clinton on down to come out and Mm -hmm. get her elected. It was a much closer race than anyone thought. Mm -hmm. She did very badly on Long Island. Zeldin even significantly increased the Republican share of the vote in New York City. Mm -hmm. And so the lesson to take away from this is People want results on crime. They're not happy with how things are going, whether it's violent crime or lower level crime. They see this sense of disorder. If they live in the suburbs, they are more fearful when their kids go into the city, when their spouses go into the city to see a play, when they didn't have to worry about it before. And they're, they don't like the message that the left is sending. But instead, she seems to be taking away the message that in a close race, the left pulled out the vote by getting people to go out and vote at the polls. So that's not a very good sign for the next couple of years. No, and I don't think the margin of victory would have been so narrow had it not been for those leftist policies. So right. the lead was shrunk. And then they're saying, well, it's because of us that you even got that lead at all. Yeah, exactly. You know, you see the Tiffany Cabans and the other left wing forces saying, we're the ones that put you over the top. And it's true in a way. I mean, in a close election like that, where you haven't built your own base, you are dependent on people mm-hmm. you'd rather not be dependent on. That's true. Like the Working Families Party, which is now feeling emboldened, so they're going after Adams. That's right. Yeah. And that's very clear in your piece today. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Something that you have written about a lot is transit, public transit. So I wanted to get your thoughts on the fact that East Side Access was supposed to, that, that means the Long Island Railroad coming into Grand Central so we, we Long Islanders can come right, to the East Right, right underneath us. Right. So it'll make so your commute an faster. amazing walk yeah. over here to the east yeah. from the train station to the east side. Why isn't there more of a hue and cry? I thought, you know, because it was promised it was going to be at the end of 2022. This has been promised for like five years now. We're on track, we're on track. And then all of a sudden, oh, didn't happen. But it's like, the sky fell, but nobody cared. Right. I mean, if you remember 2016, Second Avenue subway was many years, decades late. Yeah. And Cuomo said, we're going to open it at the end of 2016. You know, no more delays. This is the date the MTA set for itself. They have to meet this date. And they did. They didn't want to. In the last few months, they said, all oh, this stuff is going wrong. We're not going to open it on time. And, you know, Cuomo went down there and said... Yes, you're going to open it. What are these construction problems and how are we going to solve them? And they did. And there were some drawbacks to that. I mean, this diverted maintenance resources from other areas, which resulted in problems the next year. But it also meant that the Second Avenue subway didn't become a laughingstock again. You know, nobody could say this thing was supposed to open in the 1930s. And here we are, 2016, and it's yet again late. So they opened on time. 
it was good for morale of the city. You know, everyone flocked to it. New Year's mm-hmm. Day 2017 could ride on the subway. And then you have similar situation with the east side access. You know, the MTA set this deadline for itself five years ago, said we can open it by the end of 2022. No more excuses, no more delays, because this was also, you know, years and billions of dollars over way budget. Over budget way over right. Schedule. And here comes the end of 2022. And just a couple days, you know, four days before the end of the year, they tweet out, oh, you know, we're not going to open it on time. And it's allegedly a problem with a ventilation fan, but if the problem were a minor problem, they would have solved it. I mean, it's now almost a month overdue. And I think you're right that it's not only that it's late that's the problem, it's that nobody seems to care. You know, the governor yeah. doesn't seem very interested. I'm not hearing Long Islanders. Yeah, and they lo- Long yeah. Islanders love to complain. Right. And I haven't heard a word. I haven't right. Heard a it's not in the papers every no. day. It only got a couple tiny news stories yeah. Christmas week Even when Wednesday. no one was paying attention. So I think it points up the city's problems right now. I mean, the transit ridership is only 60% of normal. For a lot of people, Mm. commuter rail is just out of sight, out of mind. I mean, they're not taking the train on a regular basis, so they're not really annoyed that they don't have their new Hmm. uh, commuter rail stop, which is not very good for the future of the city. If we don't get people back on these trains, you know, 80, 90 percent, the MTA has real, real fiscal problems and no one's going to come along and rescue them. No, it, it was bad before. COVID and now it feels existential. Right. And, you know, like, I mean, you know, my husband was on the subway over the weekend and he's like, it does not feel like we have solved our problems of mental illness and homelessness on the subway. You know, it is cold out. People need a place to stay. That is understandable. But you people do not want to take the subway when there are multiple people in need of help on every bench lying down and just going a couple stops. And it's like, I just don't want to deal with this. So I'll walk or take the bicycle or find another way to get around. But as public transportation goes, so goes the city. I mean, I think of it like a a human body or an organism. And that's those are the veins bringing the energy, you know, bringing all the nutrients in and they're not moving around. So things will get stagnant and atrophy. And I'm worried about that. Yeah, it is a dangerous time when we except for the city council races, which we talked about. Yeah. The people can't say, okay, things are not going well. We're going to throw this person out of office and send a message. You know, we now have three years until the next major local and state election. And so you don't want people to just feel like things are just not going to get better. I'm just going to leave the city. Right. And that's also bad for the city. So Mm. I'm always encouraging people to really pay attention to your local races because that does affect your life more than who's sitting in the White House or even in the governor's office. Yeah. You know, when you just hear still, we just hear Trump, 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 you know, all of my good Democratic friends are still obsessed with Trump. And it's like, I understand why people obviously are interested in that. But this is not, you know, there is a lot of things going on at the state and local level, not just Trump. That actually affects your life. So if you live in the city, you're having a, a race coming up. Maybe probably a primary and then a general election this year. Pay attention. Maybe even think about running if you want to make a difference or helping someone that, you know, aligns with your values. And go to community meetings. A lot of times you don't even have to go now because they're still all on Zoom and ask questions. I mean, ask your city council person or your police precinct commander, like, why is this happening? You know, ask your city council person. 
the city said it's going to deal with mental illness issues. So why do we still see open air drug use near the major train stations, you know, make them feel that they're being held accountable? So I want to ask you a personal question, if you don't mind. Sure. So you work. Maybe. You work for, yeah, right. You can always say no. You work for a think tank. We hear about these think tanks. What actually is a think tank? And then why specifically are you attracted to a think tank that focuses on free market solutions? What is a think tank? You know, the myth might be we just sit around and think, think? all day. There's, <laughs> there's really, yeah, there's really no time for that. But it's a lot of research. I mean, looking at statistics, looking at, you know, how how have the crime statistics changed? Data. Not just, yeah, not just over the short term, but medium term and long term. And what are the factors that changed around those things to cause them to change? You know, multiple, multiple factors, you know, changes in law, changes in the economy, changes in the culture in terms of what's acceptable, in terms of, you know, would you ever think about fair beating 10 years ago? versus today. So how have statistics changed for the good and the bad? And how can we make sure that they continue to go in the right direction? So a lot of research papers, we write magazine articles, newspaper articles, do public outreach, and a lot of collaboration. You know, myself and my colleagues, we agree about many things, disagree about some things. And so, you know, a lot of back and forth in terms of what is someone's perspective and how does that help add to someone else's perspective. So, mm -hmm. you know, lots of sort of teamwork collaboration as well as individual work. And then I can't believe it, but we have one minute left. This has flown by. Why are you attracted to this? Is there something about your life or your upbringing or just your sense of things that makes you align with this? I was sort of privileged to live in three different cities at, in an era where a lot was going on. So what were the cities? I, I lived in Boston in the mid 1990s. Mm -hmm. Then I moved to New Orleans in the late 1990s. Oh, wow. Then I came up to New York in late 1999. And so seeing how three very different cities dealt, you know, first of all, the hand they were dealt in the first place because, you know, chance, uh, we start out in a place and given certain weather conditions and everything else, you know, certain places have advantage and disadvantage. But seeing how crime was falling in New York in the 1990s and how it was just a complete disaster in New Orleans. Oh, New Orleans and, was terrible. Right. And yeah. just seeing the real effects on people's lives. I mean, when I worked uh, at a retail job down in New Orleans, my colleague was shot and killed. Oh uh, uh, not at work, but she was wow. shot and killed. at a. She had gone to a party and someone had basically hit on her. And, you know, she didn't respond positively. And he shot her. So, you know, having something like that, never had experienced that secondhand, obviously, mm. Before just made me really think how crime really affects people in this horrible way. And just seeing the different approaches to it and the different results just made me interested in urban policy, but not from the sort of traditional, you know, as you said, top down Washington is yeah. going to solve all our problems. So no, that I, was the older I, I get, the more I see that it's real people are very smart and can make decisions for themselves. Right, exactly. So I was attracted to the Manhattan Institute. I had read articles by Heather McDonald, a longtime colleague, mm -hmm. uh, when I was in college and said, you know, this is, here's a different approach to these things. So was interested in maybe not all think tanks, but at least one think one tank. One think tank. Yep. Well, 
Thank you so much for that. Thank Nicole Gelinas, you can read her weekly, correct? Yes. Weekly in the yeah. post. Is it every Monday? Yes. Every Monday. It's always a good read. And I want to thank you so much for coming on Cut to the Chase. Thank you, Laura. Likewise, this has been fun. Yeah, it has been fun. I hope to have you back. I will. And listeners, if you like what you're hearing, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Take care.